We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Back after a, I think, eight-week hiatus, uh, Riley and Kyle were kind enough to cover in my absence while I was welcoming the birth of my first child, Haley. It has been a, a delightful experience, and I've also been able to take in some Bucks games on the side. I want to thank all the uh, other Brew Hoop contributors who filled in, Van, Morgan, Alex, Andrew, Sean, Loved all the episodes, and most importantly, I want to thank Riley and Kyle for filling in and doing all the the podcast due diligence while I was out. How are you guys doing? I'm doing okay. It's it's a joy to have you back, to have those sultry tones introing the podcast. You're so confident. You can tell the difference between amateur fill-in hosts and a, a true blue professional when you get on here. Uh, obviously, thrilled for you and your wife uh, that you have a newborn in the house. I'm glad that people can't see the video, but he looks healthy. He looks like he's, <laughs> he's doing okay. Adam's doing okay. Um, and, and I knew that when I saw the news that Gorgios got shipped off the island, that it was going to be a touchy subject. And I was a little nervous <laughs> about me and Kyle navigating that. So I'm very glad to have you back uh, and I'm doing good otherwise. Yep. I, w- I was going to say you're back. We Finally, things can be under control. You know, Riley and I did our best to fill in, but... We, we definitely are not you, so we are well, glad to have you back, glad to hear the family's well, and yes, he does look like he's getting some sleep. Uh, we were talking about it, and it's like, yeah, I think the first few months are just keep him alive, and that's that's the end goal. So, mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm doing well. It's getting to Christmas time, so it doesn't feel like Christmas season yet, but it definitely is getting close to it, now that we're in December. I appreciate you guys saying I look well. I just... I think we're close enough. If I looked like shit, would you have told me? Like if I had come back like 50 pounds heavier, like really? I wouldn't have said you look like shit. I would have said you look like someone that is doing their best. That is a new parent and is doing what you need to do to get through the days. Thanks, Kyle. I might have said you would look bad, but I wouldn't say it on the pod. I'd say that pre-recording and then I would lie, lie on the podcast. So like a true friend, that's what I would do for you. Well, that's really kind of you. Um, something that wasn't really who has time to eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that is true. That is a great point. Oh man. Well, someone who probably have more time to eat now is uh, Giorgio Kalexakis, uh, Brooke Lopez, Justin Robinson. Uh, none of them are going to be playing for the Bucks anytime soon. But let's let's start with the with the news of the week. Uh, obviously, the one the thing that's most impactful to the Bucks organization mm-hmm. moving forward. Brooke Lopez undergoes back surgery, kind of out of the blue. After uh, I would say. A, not necessarily strange, but an interesting sequence of, you know, silence from the Bucks organization. There was a question from, I think, Stephen Watson asked Mike Budenholzer if there was a setback to Brooke Lopez in the wake of the Marcus Cousins signing. 
Bud said, no, no setback. Then a couple days later, it turns out that Brooke Lopez undergoes back surgery. No further details were given. They basically just said back surgery, so we don't know the extent of it. Really, the only reporting we have in terms of when he potentially could return, and there's not even a timetable on it, of, even though you know Brooke Lopez had a target date in mind when he did that interview with Sham Sharani as well, uh, is there was reporting from Eric Name and, and Zach Lowe that there's optimism within the Bucks organization he could return this regular season. Uh, really murky subjects, not really sure where to start with it. But, but what were your feelings, Kyle, when you saw that the back surgery had had just all of a sudden popped up on our timelines? It definitely caught me off guard just because, like like you said, he was asked if there are any setbacks and that it was a no. And then he signed DeMarcus Cousins. You think either you're just bringing in another big or you don't think Brooke Lopez is coming back soon. And then it seems to be the latter. Only to, and it's just weird because then it kind of goes back to why didn't you sign a big early if you knew Brooke was going to go be out this long? And when Brooke, and I did kind of joke that when Brooke said he had a target date in mind, he said December t- 22, and we were, and everyone's like, okay, cool, December 22nd. like, no, December 2022. Uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, otherwise, this is, I feel like this is just peak box. We don't know what's going on, we don't know how long he's going to be out. It could be a couple months. It could be a whole year. Like, I don't know. And I don't think there was anything in between. It's a weird situation just because it feels as though no one is panicking at the same time. It seems like the team is understanding that Brooke's not going to be here for a while. It seems like Brooke maybe knew that he wasn't going to be back for a while. The front office as well. It doesn't seem as though anyone's panicking, but I feel like everyone's kind of wondering what actually is going on because we've gotten no since that first game we had no idea first it was just back soreness okay maybe that's just a code coded language for load management sure we'll we'll accept it and then everyone's like maybe it's just because with his back you don't want to rush him too soon let him get his rest he had a long season played late into july didn't get much of an offseason break he was too busy running around disneyland or disney world sorry still nothing now we're in december we are a couple months in is still not back and no one knows what's going on and now that he has a surgery and we don't even have the details of the surgery that just that it went well i don't know this is it's it's weird but i'm not panicking but it's definitely a clearly the bucks knew or have a plan or are well aware what's going on and everyone seems to be chill about it which is the weirdest thing to me I laughed when I saw it, not because <laughs> not because I want Brooke to be injured or to be out, but everybody's angst leading up to it. Like, I can't believe they're not giving updates. I can't believe they're not giving updates. And everybody was slowly getting more angry. And then we signed DeMarcus and Bud goes, nope, we're all good still. And then two days later, it's like, Brooke is not coming back for a very long time. <laughs> so I just thought it was very funny, the arc of the narrative. Uh, I'm not an expert, obviously, in any sort of uh, physical therapy or what kind of injury he had. I would love if somebody pulled like a Zapruder film level analysis of the Nets game to see if there was one segment where like somebody pushed on him a little too much. Because it was it was very out of the blue that he played all the he was, I think, of the starters. He played the most minutes in the preseason. He played like his usual self in the Nets game. And then he's out. And I think with a back injury from what I gather, they try to do as much physical therapy as possible to see if you like, can we just figure it out? And I understand, like I've pulled stuff in my lower back and it's just one of those things where like you, you might feel okay for a while and then all of a sudden it goes like, you just 
are in a different direction, it pulls and you're like, oh, I can't like move it all. So I couldn't imagine trying to like, if you're so, so going out there and playing. So it's definitely the right move that they held them out to see if we can just like let it heal on its own. I, I, Van was saying in the group chat that like back surgeries that aren't nerve issues, you can come back in like four or five months, which seems a little extreme in my opinion, but maybe he'll be back. I, I think the fact that DeMarcus Cousins, very small sample size, he's looked like serviceable helps lower my angst a little bit. And it, part of me also looks back to last playoffs where Brooke had a role to play, yes. But in a lot of the critical minutes, it was a lot of Bobby Giannis front court play. And if that's a pairing that they have to continue to work on or they have to continue to figure out stylistic ways to play around Giannis when Brooke isn't out there, uh, this is a lot of learning opportunities for everybody involved. So yes, I would prefer to have Brooke around. Uh, no, it's not ideal to get back surgery. I would love to have him back for the playoffs, but I'm not raising a red flag like, well, this definitely changes like the entire tra trajectory of the season based on the evidence that we have so far. Really? I, I think completely opposite. I, I don't really? think there's any way they win a championship without Brooke Lopez. Is is my is my personal view on it? Maybe, maybe, but that's also because I I, I am not going to super buy totally into Demarcus Cousins yet. I, I guess I, I'm not I'm not totally sure the defense is going to hold up completely. I mean, maybe it will with Giannis in there, um, but I I don't know. I guess I have some some doubts about whether they're going to be able to execute everything that they want to do when teams are trying to target folks like my, when I'm thinking about the net series, I mean, the net series was a lot of zone, like lot, a lot of, of drop defense. Like that's basically what they were running. They were running drop defense, PJ Tucker fight around a screen, Drew Holiday fight around a screen. Um, I mean, when they, when KD decides that I'm just going to have Bobby Portis's guy set the screen over and over and we have Bobby trying to either drop or probably in this case, come up aggressive um, I, I, I'm just, a, I'm a little worried about it in terms of their, their championship equity. That's my personal view on it. Um, but I don't know what, where are you at on it, Kyle? I, I, it is always tough to not have one of your best players available. So I think it lowers their chances for a championship, but I also think it depends on the matchups you get because against the Nets, you can go a little bit smaller and get away with it because Brooklyn doesn't have the size and you can roll with a Giannis Bobby and still be okay. If you're playing Atlanta, you can may it might be a little bit tougher, but you can get away with it just because offensively you still just need to make sure that Trey Young doesn't get to do whatever he wants. And if you're doing switching, that actually could be a little bit more serviceable than doing the zone drop, which he can exploit where he's that type of guy against Philly. That's a team where there's a, okay, against Joel and B, do you throw Bobby out there? Maybe this is where DeMarcus cousins comes in. That's what we were saying when they brought up Robin Lopez two years ago. Well, you at least have someone that can back up and take all those beatings from him. So I think it just depends matchup wise. I think the bucks can still make the finals. And I think depending on who they play out West, they could still win it, but it does make it a lot harder and it does decrease their chances. I don't know if I can go in as far to say they can't win it, but it's, going to be a hell of a lot harder to do so uh, hold on are you guys not believing the team that they're optimistic he'll be fine in like three months what are we talking about i'm, I'm, I'm going off saying, the assumption he's good what are, what are we talking about right now i'm just saying i don't i would be surprised if he is back in april or may if they get to june then i will feel a little bit more optimistic yeah the the um 
so you guys are totally right about all the encore stuff. Maybe I'm I'm too I'm too intoxicated on the Demarcus Cousins Kool Aid right now. The what's curious for the Bucks is they can be optimistic now, but I'm not sure if they could technically go out and get a disabled player exception. We'll know by January if they go for that. Yeah, we're sure not getting uh, Brooke back, but they're in a tough spot because if they're like, oh, Brooke might come back by the playoffs then you're foregoing the chance to add like somebody who's theoretically healthy now. I have no idea how the disabled player, but like there's so many different dominoes that still have to fall. They have a couple of weeks to figure it out because I think January 15th is the deadline to apply for an exception. Um, yeah, it's it's just a complicated situation. If they think that he's going to be fine and back by March, then hopefully we'll be okay. And I think the couple of months learning experience is probably for the best for everybody else. You're right though, Adam, that a lot of it hinges on how the rehab goes and if they're optimistic great and if it doesn't work out then yes that is quite a blow yeah i i do i do think you're you're right though riley in that if you're gonna lose someone who won't necessarily make your like destroy your seeding in the regular season but also doesn't necessarily need to play in the regular season to have any you know to know how he fits in with the team brooke lopez is sort of the ideal piece to lose in that regard i would say he's, he's basically the team's fourth most reliable player in the in the playoffs in my opinion maybe pat Connaughton is, is going to be challenging for that role this year um but in terms of, of just like you said learning i, I agree that the, the bobby Giannis front court is something that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing it's they've been able to hold up and and do fairly well creeping up into the uh, top 10 defensively since the early start of the year i think we've seen without Giannis. The defensive rebounding has definitely taken a bit of a hit the last two games. Um, the game against the Heat wasn't quite as bad. The Raptors game was was pretty bad. Uh, but they're also a team that's that's attacking the boards uh, pretty aggressively. So uh, finding a way for those two to coexist on the court, have the defense still be serviceable, and find an, an offensive rhythm between them in the long run probably will be a more beneficial thing. Even thinking future-focused, if the team does plan to sign Portis to a, to a bigger contract, they're going to need to find a way for those two to to have a, a good defensive rhythm and and still be able to execute offensively. So so long term, it, it may end up being a, a better thing for the future of the roster if Portis sticks around. I am kind of concerned though offensively without Brook because in the Hawks series, especially when Giannis went out, especially in Game Five, the Bucks is headed. Okay, we're just going to give it to Brook Lopez, and because he's bigger than everyone else that the Hawks can throw at him. We're just going to give it to him. He's going to go down low and just beat up on them. And he had probably his one of his best playoff games in that run. And that is a slight concern because if the Bucks can't hit shots, then the night, the plan B was always then throw it to Brooke and let him just bully people down low. You might not have that. So that's my bigger concern is what is your plan, I guess, B or C, depending on what you think of. Because plan A is always get the ball to Giannis, let him do what he needs to. Plan B is hopefully one of these guys can hit shots. And then if those two don't work, what happens after? That's my biggest concern without Brooks. Surprisingly, it's not on the defensive side. It is on the offensive. What happens when your shots are falling? One more question for you guys. Is the best move for the Bucks right now calling in one more favor from John Hammond for all those years, getting Robin Lopez, having him shave his head and just go out there looking <laughs> exactly like Brooke? Is that the best move available to John Horst right now to fill the, the Brooke Lopez gap? No, <laughs> <laughs> that was worth a try. <laughs> I yeah, I am I am personally not on the get Rolo bandwagon. I, I'm 
We do we do we need fine. yeah do we need to really this, assemble this the entire gonna, 2019 2020 this is all tie into the Wesley Matthews discussion? We don't have to go there quite yet, but that's kind of how I view about view that whole re-signing, um, kind of over celebratory in my view. But okay, while we're talking about Brooke being out, let's let's just take this opportunity to talk about what Cousins has looked like so far in the few games that we've seen. So Riley, you said he's basically exceeded your expectations. What have you seen from him in these in these? Uh, the two games we saw, which was Charlotte and Miami. I've seen that he can still walk and he can still <laughs> jump a little bit. And that's big because I didn't know if he could do that because I had never watched like any sort of DeMarcus Cousins basketball in the past couple seasons. The So Kyle's point about the offense, like having a big guy inside. Uh, it's not that DeMarcus solves all that, but last night against the Heat, he did some excellent job, like just grinding. He's a lot more bully ball, I think, than Brooke is. It's not that Brooke was afraid of or like reticent of using his size, but he's just had, weird to say, like more finesse in the way that he used it. Uh, DeMarcus is a lot more like just straightforward. I'm going to go right through you if you're undersized. That's not going to be as effective as like maybe Brooke would be, but it is a reasonable facsimile. I love the way DeMarcus passes, whether that be on the perimeter or even when he gets a couple defenders. He's always, I think Eric Name tweeted last night, you can see that he has the understanding of a guy who is very used to defenses keying in on him and then finding somebody else who's cutting, who's open on the perimeter or whatever to keep the offense going. And Brooke could pass, but I don't think he could pass like Boogie can pass. And that's a different uh, aspect of your offense. Um, His defense He's watching too much uh, Bobby Portis, like, blitz the pick-and-roll def- like pick and roll guy defense. He needs to watch a lot more Brooke Lopez drop because he isn't super athletic, but he's still huge. And if you can sort of, like, just back off and wait, if you could just have him do that, that's great. I, I just think he's exceeded my expectations because he is alive, which is good. And <laughs> he's gone even past that. Because he looks like he may be a serviceable player. So it, everything in a very small two-game sample size looks promising. We'll see where it goes from here. But it, I think it's been a banner week for like random free agents in December signing. It's it's pretty solid for DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, I, I think it's more the the physical abilities of DeMarcus Cousins is clearly diminished which will happen when you tear your Achilles and then your ACL back-to-back years. Like, that will happen. But in terms of the talent, he still has... It's still a talented player. It's still someone that there's a reason why he was as coveted the last couple of years, even though despite all the injuries, there's still teams that would love to have had him. I think, what, Denver was one of the teams. There's a list of teams that wanted him. And you can see why. Like, he has still got the ball-playing ability it's just the physicality and the defense is completely not there anymore, which is fine because for the 10, 15 minutes that he needs to provide, that's all you need. You don't need him to try and go 30 to 40 minutes anymore. You can get 10, 15, maybe even 20, depending on how up to speed he can get. And you know, he's going to not, I I think it's just the, he won't actively hurt you by being out there. He will not be Shemi Ojale. He will not even be Rodney Hood. He will not be, you know, most of these end-of-the-bench guys. Even Thanasis, you can argue. He is going to be okay, as the and that's the floor. Okay is the floor, and I think that's something that we didn't expect, especially when you're signing a guy that no one else signed throughout the season. It's kind of, that always raises a question of, 
well, why is why was he available? Like, how did that happen? And thankfully, it, yeah, I would say from two games, you can at least look and say he won't actively hurt the Bucks when he's on the court, and that's all you can really ask for a guy you pick up off the street and has only been with the team for a week now. Yeah, I'd say I obviously still need to need to let it play out a ton. I mean, we saw in the Miami Heat game, he was he was pretty visibly frustrated to to like a, a level of of anger that I don't think we see out of many of the Bucks players. Uh, they, they they certainly get upset, but obviously, I think tempering that and having him within the the Bucks organization and the Bucks culture um, will be something they'll just be working on it and managing. I think the thing that was encouraging about the first couple of games, especially the Charlotte game, was. I know he initially subbed in and I'm pretty sure he was matched up with like Nick Richards minutes, which Nick Richards is a player I've never heard of before I wrote the preview for the Charlotte game, but he subbed in, I think to start the second quarter or, or midway through the first. And I, I thought Bud might just be matching his minutes with when Charlotte actually put in a, a, a large center. And then Nick Richard played like one minute and was subbed out and DeMarcus Cousins kept playing and he was able to hold his own against a, a team like Charlotte, which is really helter skelter plays small doesn't have any sort of a traditional center. I think the Heat, while Dwayne Dedman is can stretch the floor and is a little bit more of a traditional center, they're kind of a strange matchup. They just do their their offense is is really wonky. They do all these screens. They have all these people going out on the perimeter, and so I actually thought that was more encouraging from these first couple of games to see his performance and see him be able to hold up, at least you know end up a, a positive plus minus against Charlotte offensively. That the passing is really impressive finding guys in the dunker spot. He's been doing that already. He seems to get the ball in the perimeter and he's not a, he's not a ball stopper, which I, unless he, unless he's in the post, he might stop with it because he knows he has a mismatch, which is something I guess from not, I never really watched Marcus cousins, but that's like really encouraging to me to know that he wants to keep the ball flowing within the, the ecosystem defensively. I agree with you, Riley. Maybe they're just asking him to blitz because it's easier than trying to do the, the drop right now, which seems strange because the drop seems like it might be easier, but maybe he just needs to understand the positioning. But also for a guy who's athletically limited, I don't really understand that particular defensive stance. But hopefully down the line, I mean, like you said, he has the size, he has the long arms, he has all the kind of stuff that could theoretically fit into a, a decent drop defender. But I'd say really encouraging stuff from Cousins so far. And, uh, you know, Bucks have to be really happy with with, with what they've gotten out of him especially in the wake of Brooks' injury. Yeah, I'm hopeful that even if his athleticism is mostly shot, they'll be able to slowly get him to understand the defense. Like Bobby Portis, when he was first here, watching him try to do the zone drop, I was like, you don't have to give him like 30 feet and run like parallel <laughs> to them or whatever. It, it was an adventure for him to get it, but he did eventually seem to get a lot of the principles. There were a couple of times in the finals where he would like go back to his aggressive, and that might be coaching as well, but... I am hopeful that if we were able to teach Brooke the principles and eventually teach Bobby some of the principles that we can do the same for DeMarcus and hopefully that'll become easier on his body as well. You can circumscribe some of the worst possessions where he gets totally like in no man's land or tries to go aggressive and gets beat or whatever. So it time will tell whether or not they're able to, but the fact that he has plus minutes like two games into his Bucks career is uh, a positive, all things considered. Well, he was never known as like a plus defender throughout his whole career. So even then, it's not as though we had this guy that was, you know, all defense and one of the best rim protectors. And now because of that, like he was never a great defender. So that is kind of similar to Bobby Portis. If you can teach him or at least you can get him to 
try trying is probably going to be the biggest thing on defense. So as long as he tries, I think that's going to be a win. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the other roster moves. I, I don't think we're going to touch as much on the uh, Justin Robinson for Javante Smart two-way swap. Smart looked, I, I liked Smart pushing the ball against the, the Heat. I thought he looked pretty decent in that game. Um, but let, the, the bigger move is, of course, bringing back Wesley Matthews on a veteran minimum, uh, jettisoning Georgios Kalitsakis. I'm sorry. I still never learned how to say his name very well. <laughs> and now, now it doesn't matter. <laughs> now I really don't have to say it. I, I mean, th- that move was stunk of a favor to the agent at the time. Um, and it is, is unwrapped the president. It was quite clearly a, a gift to Alex Saratsis. So thank you to him uh, for allowing us to pick a guy at 60. So Wesley Matthews is back. I, I, feel free to talk about just Wesley Matthews in a vacuum, Kyle, or also I would say a, a more enlightening discussion is probably uh, talking about it in the context of all of our other free agent signings and how they've performed this year. We are going to try and have some unfinished business from 2019, 2020 season. Apparently that is what I've learned. We brought back George Hill. We bring back Wes Matthews. We are going to try it again because were it not for COVID, maybe this Bucks team could have steamrolled through and won a championship. Who knows? But I think it also might be an indicator both of Shamil Jale's absence, Jordan Wara seemingly out of the rotation again, and Roddy Hood still not completely up to speed. And maybe it's just bringing in another guy that knows the system, that's healthy enough, and he knows his role. He's going to be a 3 and D guy. Don't need to do anything much more. And I don't know. I, I feel like Wes Matthews isn't a terrible option. I don't know who was out there that could have been an alternative. This is where I was thinking maybe go a little bit younger, bring in a young guy that can eventually. That may not be a piece right now, but it could be a piece in a year or two just because of the cap limitations. You do kind of have to hope that you can aim low and get someone that you can keep that has more of an asset value, especially if someone like Dante or Jordan War gets traded in the next couple months. But I don't know. I I saw and I was kind of laughing just because this seemed it, it was you know Yorgos got cut and it was like okay yeah he looks good at G League minutes but he is probably a G League quality player makes sense I figured the Bucks would just leave that spot open again kind of like what they did before they signed Boogie and then all of a sudden oh they're bringing back Wes Matthews and it's okay sure I, I can't get too riled up about it it seems fine he knows the system already so it's not as though he needs to have much of a learning curve. And maybe this is just a we did we felt like we didn't get a chance to truly get the opportunity like we did because of COVID and let's try and get some of those key pieces back and make it work. I don't know how much he's really going to play just because you still have Grayson Allen, you still have George Hill, you still have Pat Connaughton, and maybe when Dante comes back, Dante supplants him as well. So how useful he will be in the postseason is gonna be a big question. And since it's not guaranteed, we don't know, but Sure, why not? I guess he's better than Yorgo, so that at least you're making up. You're making an upgrade, so that is a good thing. You made an upgrade. Could you have made an upgrade that was maybe younger and someone that possibly could have been an asset in the future? Sure, but there are worse. There are definitely worse options than Wes Matthews, and I'm fine with it. Kyle, I have to ask, by Shemi Ojale's absence, do you mean the fact that he's injured or that he's absent any basketball skill? Like, which one were you going for there? 
You know, right now it's the it's the just not even on the court, and when he is on the court, <laughs> it is still a four and five situation you are dealing with. Uh, given that that is the case, that I would agree wholeheartedly with. Uh, in the twelve minutes that Wes Matthews played last night, he's done more on both ends of the floor than in all of Shemi Ochele's uh, career so far with the Bucks. So, probably not only are you upgrading on Georgios. But you're also upgrading on Shemi Ojale. I'm mostly pissed that we gave Shemi and Rodney's these guaranteed contracts and we couldn't have just gotten West from the get-go and just like skip from point A to point C, but whatever, I guess. Uh have you guys uh, like real quickly, have yeah. you seen what Shemi and Rodney are shooting this year? Uh oh, it's it, it is badly low. And last <laughs> I night, have, Rodney I Hood had a bunch of threes and they were every three seems short. Sure. Dude, yeah. Rod, I have never seen if there was tracking data for shots that hit the front of the rim. Rodney Hood <laughs> would be number one in the league. It is crazy. I so I have the numbers up. Shemi is shooting twenty five percent overall. Overall, it's pretty bad. That's Folks, pretty that's bad. a quarter. That's a quarter for those who don't like percentages. Twenty nine point three percent for Rodney. That is rough. Uh, raw number seventeen for fifty eight for Rodney. Shemi, 12 for 47. So not great for those two. Sorry, keep going on, Riley. It doesn't help that they also, in their specific ways, suck on defense. Uh, Rodney, <laughs> Shemi, he's just bizarre. He's a bizarre player, and I'm okay if I never see him play as a buck again. It's, I'm probably done with it. Rodney, you can get a little bit more what he's trying to do, but it's mostly, as we've discussed before, the athleticism thing. I think he's he is starting to find a little bit more of a rhythm or an understanding. And against the Heat, he had a couple of nice positions where he was switching out or just like running around the perimeter. So maybe he's not a totally lost cause if he just starts making threes. But God, you're so right about all those shorts. Like last night, I was like, ah, oh, ah, oh. There were times where I saw it in the air. I was like, no way, that is short. And I'm not, I can't shoot. And I knew like, no. And then the, the best part was he had that like three, like, almost half court heave too. And that one was long. What the, it's, it's, it's one of those shots that like each time you're like, did somebody block that? Like somebody must've gotten a hand on that, on that shot, but nope. He's most mostly open. I think Wes, I have no idea. He's 35 years old. He seemed okay in 12 minutes of play. It's very funny that he left to the Lakers. We won a title and now he's back. Uh, I have no real hard feelings. It, Kyle is correct that if you evaluated based simply on is the player you got rid of worse than the player that you brought in absolutely yes especially in the rotation now uh his feel for how he's going to be a help defender was on display right away last night a couple of times and that's something that rodney does not have and even though shemi has size he doesn't use it so it's like okay well at least wes has like a little bit of length um he did like some good transition defense some like uh, chase down like whatever blocks on the perimeter or whatever uh, if he makes his threes and can play okay defense, that's wonderful. And I think him not being a starter is huge. Like if he's now just like a role guy off the bench and he's cool with that, that makes that makes life a million times easier. Because part of the issue in his last go around was like, well, Wes was pretty much promised a starting spot, which made sense given his talent or whatever. But now if it's like, oh, you're going to be more of a role guy off the bench, maybe you'll get the occasional start when people are resting. Uh I think it's a totally fine signing. I, I don't know who else, like Kyle said, who would have been out there that would have been enticing. I think the Bucks prioritize winning right now, and the best way that they think they're going to do that is by getting vets who know what to do, even if they are old and starting to slow down. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't 
that's basically the gist of it. I mean, I, I personally don't have like a ton of fondness for Wes Matthews. Like I liked him at Madison Memorial. He bought a pretzel for me at Annie Ann. What's well, Annie Ann's? Um, but oh, that's I, I, don't know. I didn't know you had a personal relationship with Wes like that. <laughs> well, I don't know. It was like, <laughs> he got a, I mean, he got a salted pretzel and he got the cheese dip with it. You know, Oh, wait, you were it. serving him? I thought he was buying you a pretzel. Okay, I was confused by the story. I thought you were like at the mall and he was buying people pretzels. Okay, no, other no, I was behind the counter. He came up. He asked for a salted pretzel. I upsold him on the cheese dip and purchased <laughs> There so, you go. There that makes go. more sense. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I don't have as much. I don't, I don't know why I, I don't feel as much affinity for the 2019-20 team as I should. I think it's the, the COVID of it all just kind of like sapped some of my, and then the the sad departure that season. Yeah, probably because we I went just, out like a bunch of bums. So that's probably why yeah, I don't feel all that great about why. it. Um, <laughs> but there was the, I guess the thing, the interesting thing about them bringing back these vet minimum, veteran minimum players is it's, it did feel like, in the free agency, they kind of tried to replicate maybe what they did last year a little bit, which they're like, okay, let's find some a couple of mid-career guys like Bobby Portis, see if they're able to have some improvement, and then see if they have anything left in the tank. So far, that has not worked out for Shemi Ojale and Rodney Hood. Uh, but I, I, can't, I just I sometimes can't shake that like vision of the of us talking about the final Heat game in 2020 when like. Our best, some of our best offense was like Wesley Matthews pump faking and driving to the rim, and like Kyle Korver is like the fulcrum of our offensive sets over and over. And I'm like, <laughs> God, that team was old. It was just like, it was just a lot of really old people. So while I, I certainly understand, like it's better objectively to have Wesley Matthews than Georgios Kalitzakis, and I think it signals that the the team isn't just you know sticking eight guys who aren't going to play in a rotation at the end of the roster to try to avoid the luxury tax or whatever. Um, I, I'm not super stoked. I mean, he comes in, if he's able to give you hit, if he's able to get hit three threes like Jeff T did in one playoff game last year, it's a home run signing, right? Like that's, that's really all you need. The main problem with them trying to replicate the Bobby Porter's thing was even I, who is a Bobby Porter skeptic knew that the dude could score like in loads uh, even I, again, as an idiot, knew that Shemi Ojale was not doing that and Rodney Hood was a shell of his former self. And they're also both older than Bobby than when we got him. So I understand the thrust of what they were going for. They really hit it out of the park with Bobby Portis. Like, to be fair, that's a pretty rare thing to work out like that. Uh, just maybe it would have been pretty foreseeable that Shemi and Rodney weren't going to be it. And also, you need to have two to tango. We might have had other targets. They're like, ah, I'm going to go somewhere else for whatever reason, more money. So uh, I don't know. I, I get what they were going for. It's just a shame that it didn't work out. Well, at least I understood if Shemi Ojale wasn't going to score, you would think he could defend. That was, that was always the thing. It was the, we're not, we have PJ Tucker at home, great value version. And it is worth the great value. <laughs> I don't know what is lower than that, but it is lower than that. So at least with Shami, I wasn't expecting the score. I just hoped he could defend. And yeah, not really. Rodney Hood was a, you come off the bench. If you hit a couple shots, great. And if you don't, you're not playing. And that's whatever, because we have enough other guys that can fill in that role that it's not catastrophic. And again, worst case scenario is he just doesn't play at all. So I wasn't as concerned with Rodney Hood because that wasn't, that didn't seem like a, we are, Hoping that this guy can really turn it around for us, he or be a key cog. Shami Ojale felt like was going. We were saying, you know, maybe in the playoffs, well, he'll be useful then. And uh, no, 
we the the main thing was again we everybody the news came across we decided to stiff pj tucker to like check this dude out though and then it was shimmy ochelay was the very next transaction for the bucks uh, unrelated to these guys because i feel like we're getting to the end of the roster talk before we talk about the games uh, i just want to mention rodney hood early in his bucks career like game two of the season without brooke out there after the game, he was talking about, well, you know, Brooke, we just know that he's so important for us. You feel confident. I'm like, you've played with Brooke like maybe three games. How do you know this? What are you talking? I just thought it was very that funny. That, he, that is a smart player. <laughs> uh, well, I guess they're just sitting there getting drilled in the head, like let Brooke do whatever. I just thought it was very, it, teams are very funny. Our players are very funny. They get there and be like, we just, you know, we for years now, we felt confident with the way Giannis plays. Like you've been here for two weeks. What are you talking about? I just thought that was, if, this is if the West Matthews is the slow degradation of Rodney Hood in the rotation. I just want to give that shout out to Rodney because I've been thinking about it for a long time that he said that totally out of the blue. So tangent. For yeah. For what it's worth with Matt West Matthews getting a, a lisp. Um, the Lakers defense last year was like slightly, very slightly worse with him on the floor, even though they were really good last year. Uh, so I think defensively he brings quite a bit. He would made like 36% of his open threes with the Lakers last year which is fine, I think. You know, like 64% of his shots were considered wide open, which is a lot more than the the Bucks. So we'll see. Last thing, there's no concern here that... So I, I also think one of the things last year was like the whole back of the roster was stacked with players who were completely unplayable, which was a part maybe a strategic move by John Horst to force Mike Budenholzer not to play, you know, the Ursons of the world. Any fear here with, with you know, Wes Matthews or some of these guys that... Bud might have some of his old standbys and, and, and lean on them a bit too much, Kyle. No, because when you think of the first people that would come off the bench, you have Pat Connaughton, who's playing really well. You'll have Dante DiVincenzo, who I'm sure Bud will give a chance to. You'll still have George Hill. And now you have DeMarcus Cousins. So that's four guys right there. You're already at nine. So I feel as though, no, he probably, he probably won't have to. And that's assuming, you know, Grayson Allen comes back healthy and Brooke's not coming back. If Brooke comes back, then that's even lower because then you're probably going Bobby, Pat, George, Dante. So, no, I'm not too concerned at this point. I think, if anything, it just helps you feel a little bit better that you have a guy like Wes Matthews who can come in, knows what he's doing, and you're, again, he's not going to make you actively worse. Uh, I'm not too worried about it either, especially because Bud stiffed Wes on the way out during the heat he like he benched him or whatever so it doesn't seem like Wes is necessarily like a personal favorite of buds i'm sure they're fine but it's not like a george hill like i really believe in this guy even if it's not going well i believe him out there Uh, so i'm not too concerned about that either it should be okay all right well let's move on let's talk about the games these we'll we'll flip through the the raptors game really quickly because Giannis didn't play and there wasn't a whole lot to, to take away from that besides mamu looking great but for the first game of the week charlotte a really awesome game. I mean, Bucks win 127-125. They're behind a lot of the game. The Hornets are making some crazy shots. They go 21-51 from three. LaMelo Ball has 36 points, nine assists. He hits a, a three-pointer with six seconds left on a step back to tie the game. And then Giannis comes back with, uh, you know, he has a 40 points, 12 rebound, nine assist performance, 15 of 24 from the floor. It has a, a, a ridiculous game-winning shot on a set that, Riley, you you broke down really well on Brew Hoop, so I'll, I'll let you lead. What you know? What were your general impressions of that game, and then especially sort of the the close of it? it so, 
Charlotte, you're right. So first thing you should know, Charlotte is a super unique team because their center is like six foot eight. Uh, they run out there. PJ Washington gets a lot of the center minutes and he is surely undersized for the task. I'm happy that the Bucks recognize this and are like, hey, Giannis, you just do a whole bunch. And this was a peak Giannis game, not only in the scoring, but when they were throwing multiple defenders at Giannis, the week previous, I think it was, I'm trying to remember which team it was we were talking about. One of the teams kept throwing doubles at Giannis. and oh, at the, the Pacers. Very begin- the Pacers. They kept throwing doubles at him. And the first couple of possessions, he sh- didn't struggle with it, but it would be like kind of a janky pass out. Very crisp from Giannis all night long. It felt like he was in control. Uh, once it reached the fourth quarter, I think he scored 14 points. It seemed like it was like, get the ball to Giannis and just get out of the way and let him do his work. And he did it with aplomb. The other thing is, it's so funny that LaMelo Ball, who goes 8 of 15 from 3, has 36 points. Everyone's like, he went off. And like a 36-point outing for Giannis is like the most ho-hum thing in the world. So I think that helps, for me, it helps ground the fact how spectacular Giannis is, that he'll have like a 36 or 40-point game for the most part. I'm like, sounds about right to me. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing is, outside of the shooting, I thought our defense was pretty solid. Um, there. There was a couple of possessions where it might have just because of Charlotte's size and they were swinging the ball a lot. We gave up some open threes. For the most part, if Kelly Oubre is going to go five and nine, and I think he got most of those in the first half, it's just kind of going to happen. I mean, that's not the end of the world. And then the final point is really happy with that final play they ran. I thought it was excellently constructed. They recognized the mismatch in that the shard, the Hornets had nobody on the size to do like good defense on them. If they got the ball to them, execution was great. Uh, like Adam said, you can go look. I did like a whole bunch of arrows and broke down the play. It was really cool to watch and see much like the Clippers game last season where just everything clicked and it was just like a Giannis dunk for the end to win the game. Very similar to that. And I'm happy to see the Bucks bust out something different than the Chris play every once in a while. So I was happy. It was, it was a good game all around, very competitive. And I'm glad that we fought back, uh, because it's easy to go down like 20-some points from threes and grind your way back and just believe that the other team is not going to shoot 70% from three the entire game. It almost reminded me of last year's game against the Sixers, more in the everything was going the Hornets' way in terms of hitting shots, and you just have to hope that at some point they can't continue to hit shots. While in the Sixers game, it was the Bucks couldn't hit a shot, and eventually they're going to hit some. So... It was a you rather have that happen, and also in the finals. I feel like that happened in one of the finals games against Phoenix, where everything I think it was game five, where everything just you just get blitz and you just have to withstand it as best as you can. And then once you get through it, you slowly build it back. As John McLaughlin will say, you got a bucket, you got to stop. And that's what Milwaukee was able to do in the second half. And you really can't do much when the Hornets are hitting those kind of threes. And they, because of how small they play and how fast they play, you're go- there's going to be times where they're just going to be in a rhythm. And once you're in a rhythm, you can't really stop it. But I think I was more impressed with how Milwaukee, despite all the three that they're allowing, they didn't you know try anything drastic. They didn't go, okay, we got to stop it. Go two, three zone. Or, okay, we're done with zone drop, go switch. Right, we're going to switch. Goes. Like, they didn't do anything drastic. They just stuck to what they needed to do. And I think that was the more important part because I think a few years ago, we I would have seen probably a lot of people scream, okay, Bucks need to do something completely different. They got to stop doing the zone drop and this is a work and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like a lot of people would have been very angry about it. And I think this is more of a benefit that Mike Boonholzer is kind of just letting these guys do whatever they want during the regular season and not overthink it. It's like, it's fine. You guys will fix it 
kind of situation. So I think that is huge. And also Giannis being able to just be the focal point and effectively be the focal point where it's just, okay, yep, he's just going to get 40 points. And I didn't even know how many points he had until all of a sudden I look at the score line. He had 38 before the game went back. I was like, oh. Yeah, that seems right. I thought he had more, but I I don't know how many she had. It just seems like everything flowed through him, and I think Chris being able to chip in as well because this was definitely a game where it seemed as though Chris was struggling early on, and then he got a little bit warmer as the game got on, so that was helpful as well. And I mean, Lamelo Ball is really really good. Can't really do much about him. So I was happy that Milwaukee didn't try anything drastic, and I was happy that they ran a different play. And I think it's going to be one of those where. This is a team that you might see in the playoffs, and it's kind of good to know you can withstand a lot of their best shots as long as you stick to the game plan. I like the fact that Mike Budenholzer did not start going deep into the bench after we got waxed in the first quarter. I think Giannis played close to 38 minutes. Drew played close to 38 minutes. Chris played 32. Grayson, 30. Bobby Porter's 26 minutes. George Hill, 28 off the bench. Like, it was a short rotation. The only guy who was Rodney Hood just a couple of minutes and then DeMarcus Cousins about 14 and DeMarcus was productive in those. I'm glad Bud was like, okay, this is a good, unique team. Uh, we Yes, they shot lights out in the first quarter, but they didn't immediately like, oh, we'll just kind of tone it back, see what happens in the second quarter and go from there. Uh, once it got close in the second half and we started chipping away, Bud just kind of stuck with his guys. And that might have been with the idea of Giannis is just going to get rest tomorrow night against Toronto anyhow, so it's not the end of the world. Um, but the fact that in a game where you could say, ah, it's relatively meaningless, it's the regular season, that Bud went with most of his main guys and gave them the minutes to get out there and get the win, I think that's also notable in its own way. Yeah, the the Hornets always offer an interesting matchup. They, they, they do some crazy – I mean, as soon as you turn the ball over, they are pushing it as fast as, as any team I've seen. They did a, they did a great job and, and pushed the Bucks defense in that regard. And I agree with you, Riley. I thought the, the defense was overall pretty good. Charlotte was just making some crazy shots, especially Kelly Oubre. I mean, LaMelo Ball planking that last one. It was nice to see Terry Rozier really struggle, which is I'm always fine with. And Gordon Hayward looked fine. He got to the free throw line quite a bit. Um, any any notes on the the sort of Miles Bridges, Giannis Antetokounmpo seemed to be some sort of you know there wasn't there never broke out into a scuffle, but at the very least they were kind of going at each other. Kyle, I feel like when especially because he had the poster dunk earlier, so I think yeah. maybe he was starting to feel himself. Giannis, being Giannis, is never one to directly you know want to fight someone, but I think he kind of was maybe saying something petty to him. I, I feel as though it was a, he was starting to feel himself. Giannis, of course, took that personally, got annoyed with it and maybe tried doing some, maybe tried doing things to kind of remind this guy. There's a reason why I am one of the best players in the world right now. And I'm going to remind you. And I think that's, I don't think it was a big deal, but it was definitely a, one guy was just doing too much and it backfires because then you just piss off Giannis. Yeah. I agree. The if I was some random role player guy, which Miles Bridges is good, but he is not like super notable good. I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but like he's obviously not Giannis level. Uh, you maybe like three years ago you could have punked Giannis, and then he would do like stupid things trying to force it. This is not that guy anymore. Like 
you you make him mad or try to ask for it, he will. He's not afraid to give you the business on defense. And also, don't flex too much about getting a poster on him. Giannis is like the only guy in the league who's willing to get postered multiple times to try and stop the play. Uh, and then at the very end, Giannis gets the ultimate uh, victory because <laughs> he makes Miles Bridges' front court's uh, teammate look like a chump and get the win uh, on a game winning play. So uh, also. I don't read a whole bunch into it, but if I was just some random guy, I would not be trying to like punk Giannis to challenge him to try and beat us. Cause he will normally he will. He's, he's amazing. So. Yeah. Interesting move on miles bridges part, but next game was against the Raptors. I don't know. I, I would have much preferred to have beaten the Raptors. I know there's no Giannis. I just, it's just annoying to lose to them. And in the way that, that the Bucks lost, which is Fred Van Vliet going off, like it's just, <laughs> were you, it's just were, a lot of, were you getting was, Eastern conference finals? Were you getting Eastern conference finals PTSD? Were you getting flashbacks? Even though the teams are totally different where you're like, <laughs> it's, it's just hard to, it's just hard to stomach when he does that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and absolutely demolishes you. And I feel like the most annoying part was that he was just getting, he was also getting, into the paint and scoring buckets that way. That was the most frustrating part, really. Like if he was just making threes and that's all he did, I would be fine with it. I'm like, whatever, tip of the cap. But the fact that he went in there and was able to score a bunch was was frustrating. This was this was just an ugly game, I would say, from start to finish. Uh, 97 to 93 loss. Drew Holiday looked pretty good, has been finding his rhythm as a scorer, has 26 points, eight assists. Chris looked really rough to start. Um, ends with a decent stat line of 22 points, eight of 20 shooting. Um, we get uh, Sandro Mamukelashvili uh, making uh, some decent contributions, albeit he was a game low minus twelve among both teams. So, but overall, the main story for this one was really just the rebounding. No one could rebound. No one could really pass all that well. No one was really making shots. This was just a poorly executed game that the the Bucks happened to be on the wrong side of. Riley. Uh, agreed. Uh, actually, the Bucks had more offensive rebounds than the Raptors, which is uh, interesting. But the Raptors, it was like, we went over to N- Nick Nurse. We're like, okay, you're going to play all your skinny un- like skinny dudes. We'll play all our skinny dudes and let the best skinny dude win. And unfortunately for ours, ours is like a skinny dude second round rookie two-way guy. So it's like not a fair matchup. Um, Drew played well. I liked his three ball dropping. Some of the shot selection, it was one of those no, 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 yes, threes, where it was like dribble, 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 move, dribble, move, step back three. I was like, well, that was a bit of a waste of possession, but it went in, so I'm going to shut up. Uh, <laughs> it, the Was it Grayson Allen who who had the call to guard Fred Van Vliet? Because they had Drew on Pascal Siakam all night, even into the fourth quarter. Who Do you guys remember who had Fred Van Vliet in the fourth quarter? Because it was the fourth quarter that he was killing us. We were getting I close. I was going to preface and- this by saying I was unable to watch the game because the Bali Sports app was complete garbage and would not load. So I was following via box score. Yeah. I can't remember. It, I know. I think it was switching off. I mean, George Hill was in there sometimes, yeah. and he was getting beat a little bit. Oh but, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, I think that was he was the one I remember. Kind of the the main things you can write this off because it was back to back road game. Giannis wasn't out there. Yes, you would have preferred to win since it was close anyhow, and some of the Raptors weren't playing well. This was the first game where I was like, oh, it's pretty evident that Grayson is struggling a little bit on perimeter defense, whether it be a Fred Van Vliet or. Um, I'm trying to think who, like a Pascal, if he gets switched out onto him. Uh, there were times, Gary Trent, I think he was covering Gary Trent. Like there were just times where a couple of screens or like ball motion would throw Grayson off. And then all of a sudden he's scrambling and the rest of the defense has to respond. 
I'm not sure if that's simply a function of the specific lineups that uh, Toronto was putting out there, but that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, annoying that Precious Achua was bodying Bobby Portis most of the night, and it looked like Bobby wanted to fight him, so that was great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's there's not a lot to write home about. I'm I'm glad that Sandro scored. I'm not sure if these two games gave me like, oh, he's our third future center vibes necessarily, but I'm glad they got the close to a double double. So that's cool. I don't know. It's just kind of a random f off game for the most part, which is fine. Toronto is also another team, like two games in a row that are weird teams to play. Toronto plays the most aggressive defense I've seen in a while. I mean, they were throwing it was like three J- Jason Kidd esque in the way yes. they were blitzing out there. Yeah. I mean, they are like, basically we are going to try and make it impossible for you to get an open three. Like we are going to run, have all of our guys run all the way around the court. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, depending on their pace, like run the most, out of any team in the league on defense. Like their their guys are going all over the court. And they they did a great job of preventing the Bucks from being able to get open threes. There was lots of pump faking and driving and then leading to another pump fake and drive, another pump fake and drive over and over and over. So they just have a lot of long guys that prevented, you know, provided an interesting matchup. If Giannis was there, I think he would have absolutely decimated them considering they are all fairly skinny. They were also missing OG and Anobi, I guess we should note, but Overall, yeah, just kind of a write-off game. What would you, what would you, this is, we have to come up with a name for the segment, Mamu Madness, something like that. Give (laughs) us the breakdown since you wanted to circle him on the, uh, on the report here of what did you see from Sandro that really had you, had you going? Well, you know, the interesting thing about Sandro is that basically everything I saw in Summer League, I feel like I have not seen at all in the regular season. Like his passing, he just definitely can't really diagnose defenses fast enough and doesn't get it past uh, other players all that well, considering they have, they have NBA level length and speed, but I, I feel like really the only decent skill that he's shown so far is he just loves to get after it on the glass. Like he, he got six offensive rebounds in this game. I think he had four in the heat game too. So he, maybe he's like taking the mantle from, Urson of like being a guy who can't do all that much, but is at the very least, you know, able to bat the ball around like a volleyball player off the backboard over and over. So I would say really the only skill so far that we've seen from Sandro that would make him fairly playable at this point is the fact that he can get some offensive rebounds for the team. So it was just nice to see him get a little bit of shine there. I'm obviously a bit of a Mamu stan, but you know, we'll see. I definitely, I definitely don't think he should have any sort of rotation minutes when um, the team has its its players back. Seems like a fun project. We'll see if he's ever ends up being anywhere decent. So he's got major. He'll like show off for a couple of games. People will be like, he's the future, and then we cut him next season for some other veteran. Is kind of what I anticipate his career arc being here. But you know, if we get some cool highlights this season, he just seems. His arm length seems, he's just, he's a strange player. I don't know what to make of him. Like his his build is strange. He looks like he's skinny and should be fast, but sometimes he looks like a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Not robotic, but like he doesn't, he's not lithe or super fluid necessarily. I'm glad that he's happy to go out there and like go to war, which is cool, but he's just yeah, like I said, he's strange, but he he like make makes passes. He should be a little quicker, probably on the trigger, especially against teams that suck. He's like, well, whatever, I'll just take the shot because there would be times that he would have a decent look, 
hold it for a second, pause, and then pass, and you get a less ideal open look for like Drew or whoever. But you know, he has feel. It's just whether or not his physicality, like if he muscles up at all, uh, how that helps out. I will just be curious how his development goes. So far, he's looked good for the herd, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, he. Look, yeah. I mean, he looks like a god. Like the the way his <laughs> his skill set is perfect for the G League. Like effort guy. Uh, against other bigs who aren't that skilled like you can get up and above some of his like drives are really good you see it against Toronto you're like I could see if the competition was slightly worse he would be putting up some crazy highlights but because the competition is slightly better it just doesn't translate just yet yeah and and he got his first career start the next game against the Miami Heat uh he earned it damn it he earned was that promptly start. yanked from the floor after just a few <laughs> minutes I thought you but he got see, a start he, yeah exactly you can see he uh, he definitely works better against like a young unstructured team full of long guys like the Raptors versus a, a you know a military discipline focused Miami Heat team. Uh, one twenty four to one hundred two beatdown. I would say there's zero to take away from this game in terms of long term implications for this team. No Bam, no Jimmy for the Heat, no Giannis, Grayson, or George Hill for the Bucks. I mean, the one thing we can take away, of course, is, is bragging rights, and I'll just um, I'll, I'll cede the floor to. Uh, Riley, who has a, I had kind of forgotten. I, I mean, I know you said it after we beat them in the playoffs, but I had forgotten the level of disdain you have for this particular franchise. Yeah, the the longtime listeners will have noticed the new intro bumper this year. We end with my highlight of last season's playoff run, saying that Miami Heat fans are despicable. And there was a part of me that felt bad saying that after the fact, but now this game, I'm right back there. <laughs> I'm right back in it. This team. It's for me as somebody who never played organized basketball, it can sometimes be hard to see something and be like, oh, that's like a dirty player. Like they're playing way over aggressive for like too chippy or whatever. It's very evident when the Heat play. It's like you could argue that, oh, they're just playing aggressive to throw off their opponent. But a lot of this, dude, it's just try hard, like little brother, annoying type of play from the heat and they keep gathering dudes like kyle lowry Dwayne deadman whoever this gabe vincent guy is that guy's a punk he needs to get out of here somebody needed to deck him right after he tried to upkick on thanasis for going after like to try and get a tie up for a jump ball somebody needed to deck him for sure it's just i was so glad that even though Giannis was out Everybody else stepped up. And after the first quarter, like when things started getting chippy, Dwayne Dedman did that like sort of, I think it was like sort of a shove on Chris when it was like going for a rebound or whatever. And Chris was not happy about that. And Chris just went off. Like this was the kind of game where Giannis isn't there. You could say, oh, it's a ho-hum. They don't have their stars. We don't have our star. Who really cares what happens? That was not the case. This was a chippy game. This was a passionate game. And the best part for us we couldn't miss and they they couldn't make a shot for the life of them. And it, I just, I love a game like this where no, it doesn't matter long-term, but you get bragging rights. And I love the fire from a lot of the guys. DeMarcus Cousins played a little bit on the line where I was like, he might get teed up and tossed here any moment now. Uh, but there was no sort of back down. And each time that he tried to like punk the bucks, like uh, Tyler Harrow, doing like throwing his shoulder into Bobby on, on a fast break, which is totally uncalled for. And I'm surprised Bobby didn't come up swinging after that. But again, the ultimate thing is we ended up going up by 30, up by 32, up by 34 after that. Like it's just poured on. Bud kept his starters in there way, way after the heat starters went out. Like it was just super petty. I'm glad to see it. And it's definitely revenge over that earlier matchup this season. So I was just, it was a lot of fun to watch. I thought. 
All I'm going to say is being petty is always the right choice in life. And the Bucks tweet at the end of the game where they say, we accept the decision, we are moving on with our season. After the Heat <laughs> tweeted that for their tampering nonsense, that is what I want. I want you to be petty. I want Heat fans to be in their feelings and trying to say this is cringe. And you know what? I, I agree with Riley. It's like the organization matches the fan base. And they are a fan base where they will talk all the shit in the world and they act like they're this tough group, but they have nothing to show for it. They are just, and when they get bullied back, then they cry. And that's exactly what Heat fans are. It's a more obnoxious version of Sixers fans. Cause at least with the Sixers, you could have seen where your hope was. Where is your hope with the Miami Heat? Like after last year, you get a fraudulent bubble run to the finals and now you have this. Like I said, your best player is too busy chasing Rachel Nichols around, which is probably why he wasn't even playing today. You get outscored by Brent Fords. Like you are after that moment, you're officially in bum category. And the fact that their fans cry when they get bullied back is the perfect encapsulation of this team. And the nonsense that they're trying to do with Nikola Jokic, where they were trying to act like they're gonna fight him. Again, it's all a front when they are all bark and they don't have any bite. And it's kind of funny to see them get rattled and to see their fans get rattled. So good on Milwaukee for being petty. Being petty is always the right choice in life. That's all I got. That's the only, the only analysis I have for this game. Uh, for like off for actual like basketball analysis, uh, if we want to talk about any of that, DeMarcus Cousins, again, I thought this was a different style than his Charlotte outing because the Charlotte outing, he seems, which is pretty typical for a new guy to play very within himself. He was like, I'll just pass it. Uh, if I get an open look at the basket, I'll just go for it. In this one, he seemed a lot more purposeful attacking the baskets or if the shot went up, he was like, I'm getting right into the mix and I'm going to start look, start decking dudes left and right out of the way to get these rebounds. Uh, the number of times that dudes ended up at his feet, just like in his vicinity going up for rebounds, that's good. I like a gigantic man who throws his weight around. I appreciate that in a player. So I like that. Uh, Chris, like I said, we need more games like this. Ideally heading forward, he's getting into a rhythm. He just, he took it to the heat. He took it to join Deadman a couple of times into the fourth quarter. He is not a playmaker, so those fourth quarter minutes where he was the point guard, let's cut down on those, bud. I know George Hill wasn't there, so it's not the end of the world. Uh, but the fact that he was like, he took the most shots of anybody on the floor. Good. I love that. Pat Connaughton having a hell of a season. He's going to make a lot of money next year, and against all odds, I hope he makes it with us. It's just there was a lot of different things that, yes, he can write it off, but the guys who needed to play well or play like to their utmost in their role, they did so, and that's good. Uh, and then – what a banner week for new guys getting in games where it's like it's a war and that brings the team together. I'm not, chemistry, like rah rah stuff, I'm kind of in or out on, but I liked that in the Charlotte game, Boogie's here. He's like, oh, this is like a new team. He sees the team totally scrap their way back for a win and get like an awesome final play to score and win. This one, the Heat are a bunch of punks. They're like doing dirty stuff all night long. And everybody on the roster gets, besides Jordan Wara, everybody except Jordan Wara gets some time to go out there and do a little bit. Like everybody, I think the West Matthews only got three shots. Everybody else had six or more shots at minimum, like giving it to him. Javante Smart was like attacking the basket. I just thought there was a lot there. It was like not only the win, but chemistry building, like team building, like, hey, we're all in this. Even Javante Smart might play 28, like, decent minutes or whatever against the team. So I was just happy with that from this week as well. It's like, get the wins against teams in emphatic fashion that, like, really brings the team together. And if, in my perception of it, at least. 
Yeah, no, another underrated nice thing about the the cousin signing is this this team outside of Giannis, very few players are very adept at getting to the free throw line. It's always been something that has never been a big focus of this team, and that's you know once again the playoffs are more important time. That's that's a sort of way that you can rely on scoring when your shots aren't falling. So good to see him get to the line eight, eight times in that game, just kind of bully the Heat inside. Any any thoughts, Kyle, on the on the return of PJ Tucker for for his ring? I think it was good that he was able to kind of give that speech to the Bucks crowd. I, I think it's good that he was able to get his ring. It's clear that he still loves the city of Milwaukee and the fans. Obviously, how he feels about the front office is probably different. But in terms of the fans, the players, the city, it was it, – you can tell just from his speech, like, he deeply does care. And if it was up to him, he would have came back. So it's good to see him, like, you know, at least – not have any animosity towards the fans. I think he had a piece in the Journal Sentinel where he was talking about like how it was one of the best times, and obviously winning a ring helps with all that. But it, it was good to see that he his caring for Milwaukee was still there, and it did kind of make me think maybe we should have just kept him. This would this like a lot of this like ugliness that we had to deal with in the summer. It could have just all been avoided. The Bucks would have just paid the guy, but I mean, who knows? It's not like he is. He, he seems to be the same guy maybe a little bit worse and maybe it's because he's with the heat so it's just more embarrassing because the heat are embarrassing but happy for pj to get his ringing still give a speech and it's good that the crowd was still all for him so good job i guess crowd uh, agreed and i thought it was really really special of him to put up a stat line reminiscent of his entire time with the bucks of two points <laughs> a rebound that was it and I'm really wait, wait, wait. three personal fouls. As yeah, well. three. Yeah, sorry, three personal fouls. I thought it was very uh, honorable of him to say, "I'm going to put on one one final show for the home crowd." And you know what? God damn it, he did. So good on you, PJ. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Uh, seems like he's got a lot of passion. He'd be probably. I know there were some shots of him like smiling on the bench, probably joking around with teammates. You know what he was really smiling about? Looking over to the other bench and saying. They've replaced me with Shemmy Ojale. Ha, ha, ha. So good for you, PJ. You got you got to win even if your team got a loss. Yeah, happy for PJ. Happy he was able to give a speech to the crowd. I can't remember if Brent Forbes gave a speech to the crowd or not. But um, I of course, doubt it, to be honest. I don't, I don't I think, think he's, he's not one to talk much, so. Plus, I, I mean, to be fair to him, he did outscore Jimmy Butler, so he will forever be a legend for that. But after that series... I forgot he was on the team. So it's definitely, there are levels to the title winning, returning player uh, pecking order, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Happy happy for Tucker. He, he did seem to be smiling. Good, good for him. Uh, all right. So so the Bucks have a two and one week. We're going to head to break here on the other side of it. We'll do our miscellaneous topics and close it out. So stay tuned. All right. We are back. It's time for rapid fire questions. Uh, I wrote them this week in honor of my return. So uh, we'll start. Um, on your phones, do you organize your apps in folders or do you just put them all on the screen and try and find them? Folders. I'm a mix of both. If it's like all social media goes in one, all utility like calculators and stuff go in another, and then most of the others just kind of sit out like email, messenger, those mostly sit out, but like a couple of folders here or there. Okay. Follow, follow up. If, if Do you guys have iPhones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how many how many swipes on the home screen do you have? How many different screens do you have of two. apps? I have two. I have yeah, I also have two because kind of I'm I guess I am more similar to Riley. Like after the non-essential apps that I just have that I use like every once in a while, they're kind of in its own place. But 
Yeah, I have it because I also like I wanted to have a wallpaper that I could see. So if I can just reduce that as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, only two. Okay, thank you. It's impressive efficiency. All right, your snap reactions to the Heat and Bulls being charged second round picks uh, for the tampering charge from the NBA. Eh, like it, it's <laughs> dumb. Like it's dumb that it took this long for this punishment. But to me, it doesn't matter because it's clear Adam Silver and Malik don't really care about tampering that much. I would have been more upset had we not won the title last year in spite of the stupidity. So Mitchell was doing his best to poke and prod the bear that sits within me to try and write something very uh, petty about it. I couldn't. As I much as I tried. <laughs> yeah, but everything started to happen pretty quickly. So we got a wash with that with like all the transaction news. And that just, because we won the title, it's hard for me to care. I, oh, also Walsh is a bomb. Yeah. That's still yeah. true. Yeah, that, that doesn't change that fact. But uh, yeah, very funny of the league to like, put in apparently months of investigation, which is probably like an intern Googling Jimmy Butler or like Kyle Lowry's <laughs> name or something. And then they were like, ah, we'll just give you, just give us a second round pick. So I, I don't really care all that much. Okay, good. That was the reaction I had. All right, you go, uh, you've decided to get a donut for breakfast with your coffee. Do you get a filled donut or uh, a non-filled donut? So a hole in the middle. Non-filled. I think I would go non-filled as well. There's the custard ones always in my mind are like, this would be great. Whenever I eat them, I'm like, there's just too much custard going on here. They almost always go over the top with the filling. So in that case, I'd rather a unfilled one with like, just like a nice frosting or like sprinkled some sugar on it or something. I'm just not a fan of cream filled, like any filled type of donut. So it's just a lot. It's too much. That's fair. It starts oozing out. I get it. All right. When you were growing up, um, if you rode the bus, did you prefer to ride in the front or the back of the bus? The back. I wanted to, because I got picked up so freaking early, I wanted to try and get a nap in. So the back of the bus. Uh, wherever one of the heaters was, I would say like right on that heater, which is usually like there was one in the back front and middle. And I, was, I wasn't I was part of the cool kids, so I couldn't sit in the back. So I moved to the front middle, wherever the heater would be, would be my choice. That's fair. All right, uh, last one. You get Mike Budenholzer in the Milwaukee Bucks Secret Santa. What are you getting him for Christmas? <laughs> A 12-pack of White Claw. <laughs> 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 he apparently was drinking that at a Harry Styles concert. So yeah, that, there you go. Um, Man, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think of like Bud, some like funny Bud-isms. <sighs> Maybe I'd get him a recorded, like a physical burn CD of Adam's various mixes of like Bud saying it's not championship or bust, but like in various remixes of that. Because I think that's, you know, that's a nice touch to say, ah, he was he was doing this. What a silly man Mike Budenholzer is. And then we go out and win the title. Oh, and you could put like play random, like just various, but going, uh, yeah, we need to play good basketball in the next quarter when like his life is on the line. So just Bud isms, a, a, a record for him to play around the house. Well, that's spectacular. You could take it like the extra level. I was thinking like if, if you know, children's books, you like turn the page and sounds come out, like you're getting like a snapfish of his, his oh, weird yeah. on side reactions with that. That would be good. Uh, all right. That's all I had for rapid fire. Um, we're moving on. It's time. It's that time of year. It's the season for uh, Kyle's Christmas movie reviews. I'm excited for these. Yeah, this is the first, I think this is the first Christmas 
movie I've done. Um, I watched Holiday last night with Emma. And she had warned me, this is not a good movie. Like, she warned me, like, this is bad. And I was like, well, how, what do you mean bad? Like, is it just not good? Is it the story's bad? She's like, no, it's toxic bad. And I was like, okay, we're watching it because, again, I just want mindless. I don't need to pay attention. Holy hell, it is toxic. It has Emma Roberts, um, Kristen Chenoweth is in it. I guess someone from Grey's Anatomy, according to Emma. I don't know. But basically... The the two people, two every single people have a crappy Christmas and then they decide for moving forward. Uh every holiday they'll just be each other's date and then they just don't talk. Which is a terrible idea, which it makes sense if you just want to avoid like that family discussion. But like even the family know like this is the situation. So it's not even like clever. At this point, you're it's just like you're just bringing this person along and someone's getting free food or something. It was both of the main characters are toxic. The family of one of the main characters is toxic. The best friend of the other main character is toxic. Everyone's just everyone sucks. There's maybe like two good people in this movie, and even then, it's just a this is dumb. It, it gets to the point where you kind of know what's going to happen, but it's just a dumb situation. And if you want just a bad Christmas rom com with toxic people that you just kind of roll your eyes and you wonder how that like this should not happen in real life. The, the this should not be a thing. These people suck and everyone sucks, but I guess that's fine. Holiday, great option. It's on Netflix, but. I give it a two out of ten. It was uh, the only reason why it's not lower is because I knew it was going to be a toxic, terrible mess, and therefore it bumped it up because it did live up to those expectations. But my God, I just like the least toxic thing was their like the characters had a fight, and it's like that was the least toxic thing that they did to each other in this movie, which is terrible. I got to ask two follow-ups. One, have you reviewed this movie before? It's because of all the bad, hot, like, Christmas <laughs> movies you review, they all feel very similar. I, Do you think you've reviewed this before? I did or, not, because I had not watched this. Emma okay. watched it, which is why she warned me. But I, it, there's probably another. Serendipity is also another Christmas movie that is basically just a lot of toxic people that suck. But, no, I've not reviewed this movie. I had to double-check on that because we were going through movies. I was like, I feel like I'm... <laughs> Why have I've seen this everywhere? Did we watch it? And she's like, no, I watched it without you. My second question for you is for you guys, out of average, like an average of 10 movies, how many of them do you quit early? Or are you a family that just, even if the movie sucks two out of 10, you grind through? Because that's impressive if you guys do. The only one that I vividly remember we quit, like because we just couldn't take it, was Cats. Like that is the only one where we started <laughs> watching it. We're like, no, fuck this. We're done. Otherwise. <laughs> I think we're also pretty good at trying not – like we. Try, I think we try our best to pick movies, and we just know, are we going for something that we actually want to watch, or are we just having something that we can casually just watch and just like have it on the background? I mean, it, it depends, but only – Cats is the only one that I vividly remember thinking, I can't finish this movie. Okay. There have been plenty of movies where one of us has fallen asleep, mm-hmm. but none that we both actively just couldn't continue watching. It's yeah, I, I think Taylor and I usually watch it all. Taylor has like a – she doesn't have the attention span for a film, so typically, like, we'll barely ever watch it. And if I su- if we suggest one, it's normally one that I just want to watch, and she could just be like on her phone the whole time. So, um, yeah, I think we normally get through it all. So, yeah, I quit movies all the time. I'll get like forty five <laughs> minutes in, like I'm not interested. I don't care. I have other things I can do, and we'll just quit. It's tough on a Friday night if you get forty five minutes in. You're like, well, it's forty five minutes. We're not getting back, and I don't plan on staying up past like ten thirty. So it might just be done for movies for the night. But I quit them all the time. See, I, I quit care. TV shows. Like I'll quit a TV show, no problem. 
or like hmm. a TV series. Like maybe I'll watch two or three episodes and then I'm done. I will quit that in a heartbeat. But movies, I feel like if I'm going to, I, I know I'm going to need to just admit that I'm either going to gain, I'm going to lose potential two hours and I just know it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Like this movie. <laughs> holiday holiday two out of ten from kyle uh, that's low man um all right predictions four games on the slate this week there's a game next sunday i, I think we will probably record after it since it's at like noon or yeah it's central. at 11 o'clock what the hell is yeah. this nonsense <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so we'll probably end up recording so i included that in this in our current uh selection so uh home versus cleveland monday which for the first time in a long time could be a good game Possibly. Uh, the Cavaliers are decent this year. And then three uh, road games at the Heat on Wednesday, at the Rockets on Friday, at the Knicks on Sunday. So no back-to-back, but three road games. Uh, what's your prediction for this week, Kyle? I'm going to go three and one. I'm thinking either if Giannis is healthy, they'll win at Cleveland and then lose at the Knicks. If Giannis is not healthy, I can see the Cleveland game being a struggle, but they win against the Knicks. So I'll say three and one. I, I think they beat the Heat and Rockets. I'm confident in that. But the other two, those are kind of a – it depends on if Giannis is healthy or not. Agreed with Kyle. We we suck during daytime games. It'll be the part of a road trip. Uh, do we – is that like part of a longer road trip, the Knicks game? I didn't look at the further schedule. But either way, we'll have been on the road for a couple of nights. We suck at day games anyhow. Um, un, so 3-1 agreed with the games that Kyle said we would win. I think – I think it was last firstism said in one of the comments sections of one of the recent games, I guess it was over Detroit and Van said this wasn't fully true, but he said that Giannis had won like 37 straight games <laughs> over other central division teams that he like played in. That's insanity. If that's true. And I don't know if that's more of like a big ups to Giannis or a condemnation of all the other teams in our stupid division. Oh, it's, I think it's probably, it's it's probably bingo. Because the Pulse have been garbage. The Cavaliers were garbage. The Pistons, Pistons were now were garbage. garbage yeah. And the Pacers are mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, great on you. I hope we keep the streak alive, true or otherwise, whatever the actual length of the streak is. So, uh, And it, Cleveland's like a fun young team. Evan Mobley seems like he's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. But it will go 3-1 this week. Yeah, I wish I had something more insightful, but I, I think three and one as well. Knicks are always kind of we always play them kind of weird. They play us kind of weird Sunday, eleven o'clock. Doesn't seem to bode well for the team. So I'm going three and one. Probably for well. that Christmas Day game, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Um well hopefully they win that one. Because the day after the Knicks actually they face the Celtics, so it's a four game road trip total, okay. Riley. Good to know. Um, okay. So Giannis right. might not play at all. He might just sleep in that day. He'd be like, I'll catch you guys at the airport. We'll see, I'll see you later. Yeah, honestly, me as well. All right. Well, it, it was really good to be back. It's uh, once again, just thanks to all the Brew Hoop staffers and especially Riley and Kyle who who helped to keep the podcast going while I was out. It was, uh, and you know, helped keep the site going too while I was out. It was a uh, big ups to Mitchell for helping handle a ton of stuff while I was able to enjoy time with my family. So just want to send out a heartfelt thank you to everyone on staff. And in the meantime, go to brewhoop.com. You got the Monday morning media roundup, extended forecast, Van's progress reports on Friday. Uh, Mitchell just put up a, a great piece about uh, Brooke Lopez. Where do the Bucks go from here? So definitely go check that one out as well. We'll have more pieces in the future. If you want to read about Pat Connaughton, Van wrote a piece about him recently as well. So brewhoop.com has got everything you need. In the meantime, uh, I was listening last week and then Riley, of course, plugged. If you want to review the podcast, feel free. It, also, if you want to listen to it on Spotify, I don't think there's ever a way where you would get into a, a Spotify rap. But if you somehow had the Brew Hoop podcast in your Spotify wrapped, 
honestly tweeted us. And I, I'll, I'll just I'll send you something. I will I will send you something as a thank you for somehow having us in your top five. Riley, you don't count. Um, three three episode forty minute count was, was really <laughs> really shows your dedication, but uh, it, you don't count on that one. So if you did tweet tag at Brew Hoop, and, and I will send you something uh, as a thank you. So um, this doesn't count for everyone. I'm just going to pick one person at random if there even is one person. So <laughs> that's a heads up. Uh, all right, I'm going to end this thing. All right, it's just been the Brew Hoop podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. 